Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. We've got quite a bit to talk about on this episode, from the World Championships to the Stanley Cup Final to CBJ Play Reviews and the rapidly changing situation in professional women's hockey. I'm Ryan Rial. We've got a great crew for this episode. First up, we've got Pale Dragon. Hey, PD. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. We've got Will Chase. Hey, Will. Hello, guys. And last but certainly not least, Elaine Shercliffe. Hi, Elaine. Hi. How's everybody doing? I, I, I want to first address, you know, I do not live in Ohio, but I, I saw the footage and, and last night the storms. I, obviously, we hope and pray that everybody uh, made it out okay. And there are some great relief efforts going on. So if you see those and, and feel like giving to those, that would be a great uh, thing to do because uh, some of that stuff. And it came out of nowhere. I know, I know, Petey, you were having to hunker down a little bit there. Yeah, I uh, I actually dozed off on the couch while watching the hockey game and woke up at about 11.30 and of course the local news was on then and they were talking about the storm and then I, I heard the sirens, the tornado sirens going off So and I don't always necessarily listen to those mm-hmm. but uh, then I saw the, the footage of what happened to Dayton so I thought, oh, this is probably a serious thing so fortunately I have a, a lower level bathroom with no windows and so i coaxed the uh the dog down there and we uh and we, we hung down there for a little bit until everything passed over and uh, you know thankfully uh you know the serious stuff didn't really hit columbus um but obviously it's yeah v- very scary uh to see what went through dayton and our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to those affected and uh i think at some point this week we will have a post up with some links to where people can uh, can donate and help out. Uh, certainly that's, uh, you know, it affects the state of Ohio here, and there are plenty of Jackets fans in Dayton, and we uh, we want to help out everyone there. Has any of you guys ever seen a tornado in person? Yes. When I was driving home from Toronto at the end of the season, that's why I stopped, because there was a water spout. <laughs> I actually saw one here in Virginia, which is ironic, because after living in Columbus all those years, you would have thought I'd seen one there after all the storms we had. But anyway, I don't want to monopolize that i just had to ask about the the pictures were really scary the footage of the tornado going down i-75 i can't even imagine what it was like 
for people who were driving, getting home, or people who were just in their houses, and you just see that darkness coming your way. It's it's surprising that there wasn't more damage, and I'm like I'm really glad, but that there wasn't more. Um, but that was really scary. I mean, even being like two and a half hours away from that, still like scary to think about. Yeah, I've never I've been in storms that could produce them, you know, and, and, and there's a moment where you, like, like PD said, you hear the warnings and sometimes you pay attention and sometimes, you know, you kind of brush them off. And then there comes a time where you think there might actually be one close and your mind switches into this. Oh, geez, this, this could be real. This is real. And it's something that you never, ever feel unless, you know, you think you're going to get hit by a tornado. And so, um, it's it's so serious and so uh, it's it's really good to see people coming together and and giving uh, and, and helping with relief efforts. So, like PD said, look for a post on on the canon about that this week and um, and hopefully we'll get these people back on their feet. Moving away from from that serious topic to to hockey, there's a lot going on. Uh, PD made a post about the Blue Jackets in the World Championships, which have now concluded. Congratulations to Finland. And I don't know if you guys saw the celebration, but they showed out for that victory. There were like 50,000 people. It was a day off. It was pretty cool. Uh, but check out the canon for a recap of, of how everybody did from the Blue Jackets. And, and Pierre-Luc Dubois really had himself quite the tournament. Yeah, he did. And I was very encouraged to see that. You know, I think we've had some discussion on, on the site about, you know, what will he be without Panarin? And Will touched on that in his recap. And if you saw the with or without your chart from Hockey Biz, uh, you know, it's a little worrying <laughs> that, that in, in a small sample size that PLD uh, really did not do as well when he didn't have Panarin on his wing. And it's nice to see that in a different setting, he could still be quite a good player. Now, granted, he had, you know, Mark Stone on his wing, but so, you know, maybe we need to find a Mark Stone type player. Uh, but but so right. I think uh, there's certainly some some other skill in the pipeline for us. And uh, and hopefully that PLD can continue to be a legitimate uh, top line center going forward. Yeah, I agree with uh, what you were saying about Dubois. Obviously, it is kind of, yeah, like you said, a small sample size, seeing how he is without a guy like Panarin, was, it was kind of <laughs> eye-opening. But at the same time, I kind of thought of it as, well, you know, he's only, you know, about to be a three-year pro. Um, obviously, it helps having line mates like a guy like Panarin or Atkinson. But um, I also think that as he continues to mature, Dubois should be fine. Um, but I guess for me, the guy that stands out was Wenberg. And I mean, I don't know, it, it, having, um, I'm looking at his... You know, he had like, I think he had 10 points. He had 10 points in the entire tournament. But, I mean, he had, what, four four points in that first game. I mean, just kind of weird how Wenberg seemed to thrive over there. And I don't know what to make of that. I mean, whether it's just, I don't know if it's something with Torch and the Jackets and what they want out of him or just he was able to go over there and just thrive over in, in the international game. But, I mean, what did you guys think about Wenberg? I mean, I think he probably plays well with certain people. Like when Carlson was here, uh, William Carlson, Wild Bill, he, they played really well together. Uh, I like them playing at, like just even when they weren't on the same line, they just, they both seem to power each other. I, I don't know why, but 
when he left, we kind of saw a different Wenberg. So Swedes. So Swedes is what you're saying. Right. So we There's just, no Swedes. We need a whole yeah. team of Swedish people. Bring them on. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> put put them on a line with Emil Bemstrom next year. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, right now they got three fins, and that's not cutting it. It's mm-hmm. not the same. It's like Swedish light for him. <laughs> and so I think that it's you know. Partially, you can say it's just a a small sample size thing (laughs) that, you know, maybe he just happened to get really hot and he was, you know, fresh from having not played so much over the last two months. Um, And I also think that he was maybe not as bad as he was this year. Um, So I think he certainly could be a bounce back candidate. I don't know that we're ever going to see his 2017 form again, but I think we have seen flashes over the last two years that he still can be useful in the right situation and the right deployment. Um, you know, I think he, despite his, his defensive abilities, I think maybe get him some more offensive zone time and the production will go up. Uh, the big thing, and I had touched upon it at one point this year, he really needs to have consistent line mates when he gets several mm-hmm. weeks to have the same guys together. He does so much better when you're constantly changing who his wings are. He just doesn't do as well. And so that's a case where I think maybe Torts has not put him in the best place to succeed. So hopefully this coming season, if they hold on to him, they will, um, you know, maybe put him on a third line role, but get him some good young guys like, again, like maybe Bemstrom and Texier or Bemstrom and Bjorkstrand and just trust the process. Don't don't overread the early results. Put them together for a month, see what happens, and I think uh, I think something can click and something can get going there with them. Yeah, I think he also had a lot more fun. He just looked like he was having fun, like he, like a kid stepping out on the ice for the first time. Like he had that pure elation during Worlds, but I don't remember seeing that much this season. So I don't know if he just took this as like. Let's have fun. My season is over. Let me play with my bros or or what. But there is definitely a difference in his attitude on the ice, yep. for sure. Well, I think it's a matter of it being a fresh start for him. You know, it was such a hard season for him. And it's the kind of thing that it's hard to snap out of. If the, your first half of your season's bad, like that's just going to weigh you down the whole time. It, you know, uh, your stats are always going to reflect that no matter how good your second half of the season is. It's hard to, once things have gotten going, to flip a switch and just, oh, I'm going to just forget about the first three months. Yeah, that's easier said than done. And so I think that with the early struggles and with the pressure mounting on him and with you know the criticism from Torts, uh, criticism from the fans, which, you know, the players tried to tune that out, but I think some of that gets through. Uh, you know, there's just, it's really hard to get out of that. Whereas the world's, you know, new team, new experience, uh, and he could just kind of start from scratch. So hopefully in the fall, maybe he can put some of this away and sort of look at that as a fresh start as well with, again, a new set of line mates. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think um, I think he probably played with a chip on his shoulder after, I don't know, maybe even after just the way the season played out or, uh, like you said, the criticisms that he got at the end of season. uh uh, talk, I guess, with uh, Torts and uh, front office, but yeah, I mean, and I've, uh, you know, it, 
there's probably something like to be said about what you were mentioning about um, playing with consistent line mates. And I don't know, there's probably that, that familiar, you know, familiar, familiarity over there with Sweden and certain players that he, you know, just, even if he doesn't play with them in the right in the NHL, he knows them. I don't know, but yeah, hopefully either he can figure it out in Columbus or Columbus can, if they do switch, uh, trade him, if some team took him, uh, you know, there's some sort of resolution one way or the other. Well, congratulations to Vinny Villavayan for getting that gold medal. Quick, the recap said he only played one game against Team USA. All right. And it was an overtime loss, but uh, great to see that, that nobody totally just crapped the bed over there. You <laughs> yeah. know, Elvis Merzlikens, like Elaine mentioned <laughs> on the pod a couple weeks ago, does not have the best team in front of him, does not have the best defensive core. So... I'm sure he would have preferred a better showing at Worlds, but uh, overall, a pretty solid showing from the Blue Jackets, who are unfortunately not playing right now because the team that knocked them out are up one nothing in the Stanley Cup Final after a comeback win in Game 1 on Monday. Uh, PD, you said you did not make it through the entire game. A, a pretty pretty good game, pretty, pretty solid opening for the uh, championship round. Yeah, I thought there was it was a bit of a sloppy game, and I think you know both teams were dealing with rust. You know, Boston had what ten days off, and St. Louis had six days off, and so I think that showed uh, certainly in the first period St. Louis was less rusty, um, but there were, you know some sloppy play on both sides. But uh, I it was a back and forth game, and so I think you could certainly say it was entertaining hockey. Um, so I, I didn't fall asleep until after the go-ahead goal. So, uh, yeah, I, and I still think it's going to be a competitive series. Uh, I think it's going to go at least six games. And um, and with some of the extra days off between games, uh, you know, two days off between most of them, uh, hopefully that will get the teams freshened up a little bit and uh, we can see some pretty good hockey yet. Well, if you're a Blues fan, here's reasons why you can be optimistic. That and it probably is – well, I'll just say it. Basically, the team with the longest layoff, in this case, the Bruins, the longest layoff, or the team that has had the longest layoff has lost the last six seasons. And last year, Vegas won the first game and lost the series. So I guess there's still reasons to be optimistic, other than the fact that obviously the Blues are a very hot or a very good team in their own right. But I do think Boston is the better team. Um, and also, I guess... Um, you know, this would be what the third straight year that a team that beat Columbus could win the whole thing. So, but in general, I caught a majority of the game. I missed uh, the second goal or the second period goal flurry there a little bit, but uh, I was kind of checking in on Twitter about it, and it seemed like the Blues were kind of playing with fire. They, it sounded like they were taking a lot of penalties, and Boston was finally able to convert. And we know the rest was history, but. Um, it's obviously a must win, I think, for St. Louis in game two, even though they're going to go back home after game two. But you don't want to go down 2 0. So, especially against Boston, as good and as talented as they are. So, um, but yeah, I think it could be a six game series. But if Boston were, were to take game two, I might even think it could be a five game series. I mostly watched the refs. <laughs> I was just really, I know, I know that sounds silly, but I just don't want to be emotionally invested into either of these teams. Um, so I decided I was going to watch the ref. So I watched the game this morning before I went to work. Oh my goodness. Talk about hot mess. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't under, I, so first they let someone just completely pull Krug's like 
helmet off, don't call anything, and then they let him race across the ice to get that guy. And I'm like, <laughs> how did they miss that? There's no way they missed that. I felt like that's what the whole game was like, was just constantly like, oh, okay, that's cool. So the next few games, I'm going to actually watch the other teams because I don't think... <laughs> I don't think my brain can handle watching just the refs because it's bad. I think the I think Boston really made its hay, like we saw in the series against Columbus, in transition in the neutral zone, and that I mean that speaks to the sloppy play on both sides. But uh, Justin Bourne pointed out in the Athletic about how the defensive unit for the Blues continued continued to sag and just let Boston enter the zone. That's something Columbus did really well against Tampa Bay is clogging up the neutral zone getting in transition and stopping the zone entries. Boston did not have that trouble after the first 20 minutes. And and Sean Corrali, local boy, yeah. uh, had a piece <laughs> a piece on NHL.com about, yeah, I was rusty. We were really rusty. It took a while to get back into the game. And so once you saw that, now that Boston you know, has a win under its belt, I, I, I think it's probably going to go the Bruins' way. Uh, truth be told, Full disclosure, I had Boston to win the Cup before the playoffs started, so I kind of feel invested a little bit. I also want to congratulate the NHL for doing one thing right and getting Lil Nas X to play (laughs) Old Town Road. It'd be first time in history the NHL has been not six years late on a music act. Very proud and impressed. I just want that out there. That was cool. Number one song in the world right now. Eight weeks going. So, good job. I'm surprised we haven't had more Nickelback in our lives. I know. I know. Remember when, and and this kind of got glossed over because game one of the Tampa-Columbus series went the way that it did, the actual game. But Cage the Elephant played that game, played before that game in Predators jerseys in Tampa Bay. That kind of got glossed over and lost in the shovel. But that's a piece of esoterica I want out there. Really good. Really good. Stupidly. Anyway. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Speaking speaking of hockey leagues, I do want to devote some time to this uh, on this episode because we have had people ask and we've wanted to talk about it and and let's let's talk about North American professional women's hockey. So if you have not been following the saga over the past couple of months, here's a quick recap. The Canadian Women's Hockey League announced in late March that they would shutter operations effective May 1st. The National Women's Hockey League, the other North American kind of US-based Free agency started on May 15th, and a little bit before that, over 200 women's players started a movement called For the Game, which was essentially a boycott. They're not going to play anywhere in North America until women's hockey at large kind of gets uh, its feet under itself. 
Last week, the, there, there was a professional women's hockey players association formed that is not a union, but is a nonprofit organization to grow the game. So you have the NWHL signing players right now, free agency is going on. And by the way, I'm going to reference them a couple times. The Ice Garden, the SB Nation blog about women's hockey is doing fantastic work. Check them out. They're keeping track of all the NWHL signings. They're, they're on top of all this news. So check them out uh, for, for you know, daily updates about women's hockey. So that's kind of where it is. One league folded. The NHL had been providing small material assistance to both leagues, I think to the tune of $50,000 a year, uh, which is not a ton. And they said they would double that for the NWHL after the folding of the Canadian League. I, I, that's, that's a very quick and dirty update on the past couple of months that kind of does not speak at all to the previous years of struggles and mismanagement. But, but I know this is a topic near and dear to Elaine's heart, so I'm going to hand it over to her now. And, and Elaine, what I miss in my recap? Well, a lot of people are focused on the NHL forming a league or helping them form a league. And I might be in the minority, (laughs) but I, I disagree with it. Um, because we have NHL teams that are struggling. I don't see taking on a full league to, I feel like it would hurt the NHL. I think women's hockey is great. I was, covering it the very first season for the NWHL, driving three hours to and from Buffalo almost every Sunday that they were home. Um, So I would love to see the NHL come back in. Like Pegula Sports was with the Buffalo Buttes, and then they dropped out this season after all the four of the game, and then so did the Devils with the Metropolitan Riveters. And that was kind of, it made me kind of feel like the end game of the For the Game movement is to fold the NWHL, which then would leave zero hockey for women professionally in North America. And while they're sitting out in North America, there are some players who are going overseas and signing I, I don't know how that helps. Um, that's one thing. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that, that Ryan uh, shouted out the ice garden because yeah, they are doing amazing work. Uh, every time there's been a new development in this, I've, I've gone to their site to see what their take is. Um, and I was reading today an article that they had within the last week where they interviewed, uh, Kaylee Fracken, I believe was her name, who is a, uh, has been in the league for a number of years and was the first player this offseason to already re-sign for next season. And so they were talking to her to sort of get her perspective as someone who is not part of the For the Game movement. Um, and she had a lot of really interesting things to say. Um, and I mean, part of it is you know saying that she doesn't think that it helps to essentially torpedo the league this year. It doesn't help the game for them to not playing in North America this year, um, that it doesn't help the the sort of rank and file players of the league. Like, yeah, it's nice that for the game movement wants there to be, you know, essentially a full-time salary that players could live on. But there are other players who are content to do it as a part-time job 
because they prefer that to not playing at all. And and I think I agree with her take. I feel like this for the game movement is kind of counterproductive. I don't see how they're benefit by not playing. I think that a boycott like that would work if it costs uh, other people money that they would otherwise make from the league. But I don't know that any women's league is going to be in that position yet to be that kind of profitable that they would be losing out by not playing. I think the only one that it really hurts now is the players, and especially the players who don't have the sponsorships and the national team money like the Hillary Knights and the Amanda Kessels have. The other point that Fracken made was that she doesn't feel like this movement has enough of an alternative plan. Like they're saying that the NWHL is not good enough, but they're not really coming forward with what they think should be in its place. Or they're saying that they want these things like they want higher salaries, they want health insurance, and they're absolutely within their rights to ask for those things, but that they need to have some idea of how do we accomplish that? You know, who is going to provide that money? Is it all sponsors? Is it the NHL? Is it NHL owners? Uh, and I agree with you, Elaine. I'm not sure that the NHL is the white knight that people think they are. The NHL can't really run itself effectively. How are they going <laughs> to run a women's league effectively? And if the NHL were to start one, they would likely start very small, maybe four teams, in which case that's not going to be enough jobs. I mean, there are 200 women in this fourth game movement, and four teams wouldn't be enough to give all of them jobs. You know, and the NWHL was looking to have seven teams this year. You know, they'd successfully expanded to five last year. They were looking to add Toronto and Montreal this year with Can the Canadian League folding. Um, so I don't know. I feel like the best route for everyone going forward would be to take what the NWHL has built. Now, they've got a ways to go, but they've made a lot of progress. But let's build on that. Let's work with them and work with the NWHLPA and maybe the NHL can provide some more assistance rather than running the league, but just help support the league. Or again, like the way that the Pegulas did, have individual owners either buy teams or make arrangements with teams because you can cut down some overhead that way by sharing you know, marketing, ticketing, training staff, ice time, things like that. I think that would be the better path forward. And it's frustrating that it basically it seems like the sides are not talking to each other yet. Right. And I keep hearing unity, but I feel like there isn't this unity that, yes, they all want that same goal at the end of the day, but I, it feels like there's a split between the women. It, it's pretty obvious and it doesn't sound like they're talking. Um, and then I think about two leagues, one women's league and one men's sports league. Um, people have mentioned the premier lacrosse league splitting from the major league lacrosse league and how the premier lacrosse league, we could learn from what they're doing. But the only way that they've been successful as well is because the MLL still exists. They players have more places to play. Now um, there's like double the teams for them to play when Things went awry with the National Pro Fast Pitch League uh, for women's fast pitch a few years ago when the racers were, Akron racers were booted from the league and became the Cleveland Comets under a new ownership and general management 
people split off. A Southern group of four or five teams came on where they weren't being paid much, but it was, it was summer. They were being billeted at different people's houses. It became a community thing, which allowed them to make a little bit more money. And then the scrap yard dogs became the yard dogs and they kind of have their own thing where they go around and play a lot of national teams. So from that split, you gained around five more teams for women to play on. So if they didn't like the NPF model or they didn't like what the yard dogs were doing or this Southern league, they didn't have to play. They had their pick of different leagues until they can come together eventually one day and grow together. I also like what the USSA Pride does. They are a Florida-based team for the NPF. And uh, as of a few years ago, they a lot of the players were also working for the USSA sport, sporting company. They were doing year-round. They still had a job, so they didn't have to find another job outside of their sport to, um, to make money. These are all viable options. And I, <laughs> I don't know if they're looking at these different ways of doing things. I think um, some of them are, they saw how well it worked with the national team and how they went on the strike. No one was gonna play. No one was gonna be a part of the Olympics. And they got everything and more that they wanted from that. But that had a larger base of people who were coming to the games that had a larger pocket. Uh, the people running that had deeper pockets. They need to think more on a local standpoint than a global national. They need to start looking at what their cities and their states can do for the NWHL or even for the league that they want to create. Instead of looking big, they need to start looking at those smaller companies that would be willing to sponsor them, willing to keep them going. I, I just don't know if that's what they're doing because they're not really talking about what they're doing going forward. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna add to that. Uh, I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head when you were talking about whether the NHL could really be, I, I guess, a viable. Um, I don't know. Support body is the right way to put it, but basically, like like you said, I feel like the NHL kind of steps in their own way when it comes to just handling their league, like you guys said. And I don't know. It made me think of like the Arizona Coyotes and their whole arena fiasco situation that's been going on for what feels like I don't know how many years now, but. Um, yeah, basically, I don't know. You guys are much more well-versed on this entire topic, so I'm glad you guys were kind of able to kind of run with that, but I just wanted to kind of, I don't know. I guess basically, I, I mean, <laughs> this is pretty basic, but I do hope that they they come to, I guess, obviously a resolution that's going to work, but I don't know. I'm not really sure, um, what that would be, but I don't know. I just wanted to add that real fast. <laughs> Yeah, and Will, I think I was just gonna say I think a lot of people from from a people who do not follow women's hockey or or, or in tune with 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 that environment, it, it makes sense to look at the NHL and think they should sponsor the women's league, similar to the NBA model. How the the NBA has the WNBA, and from day one, they're like, "We'll give you staff. Here are you know 
sponsorships. You can run these out of our offices and they, you know, to, to prop up the fledgling women's basketball league, which is like 20 years ago now and, and see it grow into the success that it is today. That's not saying all those teams make money because they do not. And, and that's something Adam Silver has, has talked about is, is kind of a worrisome trend. I think what's frustrating is to watch the NHL not do much at all, you know, instead of, instead of, you can see how the NHL wouldn't want to own this, right? Own this solution. But I think what's frustrating is they step back and said, well, there's two leagues and we're not touching anything. And so you guys figure it out. And so that's what's frustrating. You see the NHL doing a little bit more with, with respect to its network and promoting, um, as it is, you know, the, the women's hockey players on, on, you know, NHL broadcast. That's great to see. And, and so they're doing this incremental thing. And now that the uh, NWHL is doing better with respect to travel guarantees and, and salaries are going up. I think, I, I don't think I want to see the NHL take ownership of this uh, necessarily either, but, but they're in this position now where they stood back and said, one of you has to survive and now one has. And so they have to do something more, I think for, from a public relations standpoint and from a, a health of the game standpoint. And I'm not sure they know what to do. Yeah, and that's a good point, right? You, you, for years, the the thing that players have been talking about was we need one league. We need one league, and now there's one league left, and somehow that's now not enough, <laughs> and that's kind of frustrating. Right. Yeah, right. it's really frustrating. <laughs> um, another thing that really frustrates me is, and maybe because I worked in women's sports for a bit, but and I also played softball for seven years is the amount of people, including women, it doesn't, it's not just men, who think that women's sports are less superior than men's, like they're not even on an equal playing field. And yes, some rules are different. And yes, you know, some men are definitely a lot stronger than most women. But the way we as society look at women's sports, I just, I long for a day when like I can tell my future children or my cousins that, yes, you don't need to worry about getting a, um, having a second job lined up so that you can play this sport you love, that you're really good at if you don't want to be in the Olympics. Like I, it's, it's very hard for me to watch people tear down women and their accomplishments just because, I don't know, just because they're women. Like, I, I, don't, um, I don't understand it, and I didn't see it as much until I started covering the Buttes. And then when I worked for the Akron Racers, I saw it a lot where guys would be like, oh, I could hit off her. And then we actually did a So You Think You Can Hit <laughs> competition, and all these dudes got rocked. None of them could really hit off a soft, a professional softball pitcher. And it kind of, I mean, it humbled them. And yes, ticket sales did go up a little bit after that in streaming because people were like, oh, they're the real deal. But I, I don't know how to get in people's minds that Women's sports are just as amazing as the men's sports. And that it's not just an Olympic, like, it's just not something you watch when the Olympics are around. It's something that you can watch 
all the time. Yeah. Well, and on that on that point, Elaine, uh, the SB Nation main page had an article a few days ago about uh, practice squads in the WNBA, and that WNBA teams hire men to compete against their players in practice. And so sometimes these are guys that played in college. Other times it's guys that were on practice team for women at the college level. And these guys are saying like, yeah, these women are legitimate. They go out, they they beat us every day in practice, but the women like going up against these guys because they're bigger and stronger. And so that gives them something good to practice against in the way that maybe practicing against women that weren't good enough for the league would be. Uh, And so that's, that was really cool to, to hear these guys say that like, yeah, this is the real deal. This is really hard. Anyone who's playing rec ball and thinks that they can hang in the WNBA is is completely <laughs> wrong. They would get they would get destroyed. Um, and so some guys, one of the guy even said that he's like, I prefer being a practice player because I go to my rec league and these guys don't know how to play. They're just running down the court. They're chucking up shots. But these WNBA players have such great fundamental understanding of the game. They play it smart. They play it the right way. And that was really cool. And, and you're right about we can't just watch the Olympics because now I, you know, I, I watched that gold medal game between USA and Canada, and it was absolutely thrilling. There are very few NHL games that I watched the last year that can match the excitement of that one, and it was really good hockey. Now I had been thinking the same thing, like, oh, they don't allow checking, but that's still a really, really physical game. They still do a lot of hitting despite checking not being allowed. So, and I have to think that if they got a real good, strong league going, that it would just make the Olympic hockey that much better because these players would be playing at a high level all year round. They would be so much better conditioned, I think, for Olympic hockey, World Championship hockey. And and if there were a better league, there would be more ways to watch the game. And that's been frustrating, I'm sure, for the players as well, that we can't watch these leagues as much. Uh, Now, the NWHL, I think, has made improvements in that regard, and I think most of their games have been streaming on Twitter. So that's at least a way to go and watch games for free. I know the Canadian League got criticism that so few of their games could be watched. Like even their championship game was not being streamed live, which is a uh, – that's a very disappointing thing. So hopefully if some league gets going again, uh, there will be many ways for people to watch the games if they can't attend them in person. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to add to that real fast. When you were talking about like streaming games or being able to, you know, be able to watch them, it reminded me of like, you know, the NFL or just say in football when they came out with like the new, uh, you know, the alternative football leagues that were coming out and they were putting them on the NFL network and things like that. Hopefully a league 
a, like a women's hockey league not only is viable and, and can run as smoothly as possible and be as profitable as possible, but um, even if the NHL isn't directly involved with it, um, hopefully it gets to the point where, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of it in terms of like, okay, you have like the NBA and the WNBA and that league is, you know, it's, it's a viable league and it's, you know, it may not, I guess in terms of popularity, like, you know, across the board, it may not quite be like what the NBA is, for instance, but it still has a solid, like, uh, fan base and following. And I don't know, I'm thinking about it in terms of, like you said, streaming, like putting games on, whether it's, you know, Facebook or whatever streaming options there are, but also like the NHL network or, you know, making it so that it's at least accessible. And like, not only is the league up and running, but obviously accessible for fans that are trying to get interested or keep up with the league. Yeah. And well, and the WNBA does have really good TV contracts. I mean, they get their games on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Uh, They signed a new deal with CBS sports network. So, and the games that aren't on TV are streamed, but a good chunk of those games are on TV, which I think is fantastic. And I think they found that you put the games on TV People do watch them, and I'm sure they would find the same thing. And I, I think I agree. NHL Network would be a great. Uh, now, not every cable system yeah. gets that, but I think uh, they, they certainly would love to have live hockey programming. They would put it on there, and people that get the channel, I think, would watch it. I mean, I would love to see more NHL games on television. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the WNBA, for instance, found their niche in. And in my own, and like even with the NHL, I feel like okay, it's a, it's definitely a major sport, but we know like the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball dominate, and the NHL barely gets you know any love basically inside the United States. But um, I feel like in its own bubble, the NHL is doing really well, and they can still obviously be better and improve. But we remember what it was like pre lockout, post lockout, all that. So. I feel like I won't say the NHL is a niche sport, but I mean, it's got its own, it found its niche or it has its, it has its following. And obviously it's, it's underrated. I feel like in the U S but, um, I feel like for like women's hockey league, they just got to find their niche or like kind of like the WNBA as far as, you know, appealing to those that, cause there's obviously a following and they just got to be able to make it accessible for that following. But also one last thing, um, talking about the pay, um, I guess I was thinking about it too, and it's like I get it why you wouldn't want to be in the league, but also have to worry about a part-time job. Because I'm thinking about it in terms of you're an athlete, this is like your life, and you don't want to be inadequately inadequately paid for the labor or for the work that you're putting into that game, or I mean, you know, it's like that career. Because you know, whether it's injuries or you know, just the time that they're investing. Um, I get, you know, you want to be adequately paid, just like, you know, the male athletes in their sports. Right. I mean, I feel like writers totally understand that. Um, But we don't, um, we're not expecting like the athletic to come take care of SB Nation either. Yeah. That was a little harsh. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 To Will's point, there's a story about Kimberly Sass, who is a goaltender for the Riveters also works in architecture. She gets up at 4.30, does, goes to goaltending practice, catches a, catches a train back to work, and then after she gets off work, she goes to personal training, and she's got practice, and she does social media, and she gets to bed at like 11, and she's up five and a half hours again doing it, and she's 
you know, this is not sustainable for a human, a human being to do this for any amount of time, but it's the two things that she loves. And so she's, she's split. And so there's, there's no easy answer to any of this. And, uh, you know, we're running out of time on this topic. I know PD, you said it's important to not just watch the big world events like the Olympics. And that is so true. I do want to say, if you want to watch some great women's sports, the Women's World Cup starts next week. It is one of my favorite sporting events on the planet, men's or women's. I love the United States women's national team so much. And Megan Rapinoe is one of my favorite athletes <laughs> in the world. I know it's not hockey, but <laughs> it's a great event to, to start catching and you can get in on the I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. The United States is looking for their fourth World Cup victory. And it's a great team. They got a lot of young players and a lot of old players who are, are kind of handing the torch off. I just wanted a quick plug for the, the Women's World Cup because I love it a lot. Anyway. <laughs> how, how much do you love it? A lot. <laughs> I actually am <laughs> waiting for my Megan Rapino jersey to come in the mail um, because they never had them in men's cuts except for like a snafu a couple years ago. And so I was able to get one before they sold out because there's a limited run of those. I have no idea. It's it, That's a whole thing. Don't get me started because we don't have time. To, <laughs> for the hour that I would need to talk about this. But anyway, uh, we are just about out of time. Let's go around and do a round table. And because it is a time where the Jackets are not playing, we can talk about anything we want. Don't forget, JacketsCanon.com. The Canon is running player reviews almost every day of the week. So uh, we got a lot uh, of good ones coming up. It's, it's interesting to see some deeper dives into guys that you uh, may have forgotten how they played during the entire year. Cause I think we have recency bias when it comes to after a trade deadline. And, and of course this magical postseason. but kind of remembering that like, Oh yeah, Marcus Hanekinen had like a pretty good run in November or whatever. So anyway, uh, don't miss those player reviews, but let's go around and who wants to go first. Um, I'll go first. All right. So basically I think, uh, well, let's see my final thought. I'm going to go with Bruins and six and yeah, I think Bruins in six. Um, and also, let's get the Stanley Cup out of the way and get towards free agency because I'm really interested to see how Columbus plays this and what happens with Duchesne and, you know, everybody. So, yeah, I'm just kind of ready for the Cup to be won so that we can get on the more important things. All right, my final thought is the favorite little factoid that I've seen so far in the player reviews is that in the postseason – Brandon Dubinsky and Riley Dash each started over 90% of their faceoffs in the defensive zone. <laughs> that is just an insane split to me. And yet it, it kind of worked. <laughs> they didn't allow many yeah. goals against. Uh, it's just, it's just, you don't usually see that much of uh, that crazy of a split, but uh, that that's something that stood out to me. Okay. So my final thoughts are one, I'm on I have, I have like three final thoughts. Um, I'm on episode seven of Game of Thrones. And yes, <laughs> it did get wilder. <laughs> um, I, I'm very scared for the rest of the series because I don't see how it can get wilder than it already is. But it's happening. Um, also, I am finally releasing my Monsters reviews this coming week. And I got to say, as I was thinking about the different players throughout the season, I started wondering why Ryan McInnes 
stayed in the lineup so much because he was super inconsistent. And um, the fact that at one point I thought Dan DeSalvo was a complete liability to the team and ended up coming in clutch a lot towards the end. Also, I hope both teams lose. Um, but <laughs> since since only one can win, um, I know at first I was like, oh, the story about Patrick Maroon would be so awesome. But I would like to say to people that the Jackets are so good that they are the team to be if you want to win the Stanley Cup. Plus so. Sean Corrali, so Columbus Yeah! Leaders, so. Triple A Blue Jackets, Sean Corrali! <laughs> <laughs> I okay. wish that I remembered to add too that I was I got up to season eight on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, so I still have season nine to go. But I got as close as I could to the end. Yeah, you're. What do you there. do? Yeah. What? What? What do you? What do you do all day, Will? <laughs> I was off all last week. So I it literally every day. I was literally off work last week for a week, so I did <laughs> okay. as much as possible. Yeah. Did you know that it was nice outside last week? <laughs> It was nice. It was hot. Okay. <laughs> I'm in Virginia. Don't forget. My final thought was that plug for the Women's World Cup. And I also love how Will said, let's get the cup out of the way and go straight to free agency. Just totally, for, just who cares about the draft? The draft, not important. <laughs> don't even need oh, it. I forgot about the draft. No, yeah. no, there's no, 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 no. There's no need to talk about the draft. I loved it. You're right. You're there's right. We have like two draft picks, whatever. <laughs> Although it's true, it's it true. could be some wheeling and dealing. So who knows? Who knows what Yarmo is going to do? True. That's true. That's what's exciting. But yeah, get, <laughs> my mind is. No, no, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Get the cup out of the way. Boston can just win it. We can all go home, and they can have another championship, and we can move on. Anyway, <laughs> listen. There are kids who were born on Valentine's Day who have no clue what it's like oh. to see Boston win a championship. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just groans. Four-month drought. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do it for us. Our theme music is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons, who have announced their newest album, 430, will be released on August 2nd. So go check them out at AngelaPurley.com. We thank you so much for listening, for reading the canon. Uh, share this podcast with a friend. You can listen to it anywhere you find your podcast. Uh, tweet at us. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>